Stand with me as we read this morning the word of the Lord to us from Psalm 119, starting in verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. I accept the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. Lord, I pray that we, as your people, would see this morning the need for your word for each day, each moment of our lives. Pray your spirit would quicken to us your word as we live our days and realize that as your word becomes more of our life, the more we will experience your presence and your joy in our lives. Lord, guide my thoughts and give me precision and speech and clarity. Cause your Holy Spirit to speak to your people this morning. Lord, I pray that your will would be done in our midst. Lord, I also pray that the children who are hearing your word this morning would be cut to the quick, that your word would speak even to them, that they would hear the truth of your word and that it would plant a seed that would bear fruit in all of the children here. I pray that our ears would hear your words and that we would not go out with thoughts of, well, that's for someone else, but that we would hear your word and begin to wonder, Lord, what is it that you are speaking to me through your word this morning? Encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we were in Psalm 119 and we were seeing the value and the need to meditate on the Word and to observe, obey God's Word, to develop and to um, cultivate delight in the Word and delight in God. And I pray that that has been true even this week in our lives, that we have been cultivating through meditation and, and obedience that delight in God's Word. As we begin the noon section, which is the Hebrew letter for this section, we see a word for real life. And that's the title this morning, a word for real life. It's easy for us to think, well, that's 
an antiquated book, or even as Christians, we believe this is inspired, but oftentimes I think it's easy to be like, well, I'll just pick it up when I need it. It, You know, it's good, but it's not necessary. Well, I think the psalmist blows that view out of the water in verse 105. Because when you're walking in the darkness, if you have no light, you will fall. I think he's starting this way because he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet. I was thinking, what does a lamp look like to him? Because they didn't have, you know, like a lamp on the bedstand, right? What did he have? He, he might have had a candle or, or there's a possibility he had an oil lamp. But whatever he had, when he was walking in the darkness, he needed that light so that he would not stumble or so that he could find his way. Is God's Word a lamp literally to our feet? Is it the guiding light for our walking and our actions? Because he then says, a light to my path. Well, is this a literal path? Is this a figurative path? What what is he talking about? Well, it's interesting, this word light is the same word that God used when he made it. When God said, let there be light, this is the same word. This is the light created by God. You know why we work during the day for the majority of people? Because there's light to do what we need to do. And those of you who have worked third shift or fourth shift, I guess there's a fourth, I don't know. But if you've ever worked a night shift, you realize your body says, this is not right. Like, I should not be working when it's dark outside. Why do you think it's so hard in the times of year when it's dark at 8.30 in the morning, you're like, why do I need to get up and go to work? It's dark outside. Or you're working until after dark because it gets so dark early. When we were in Connecticut, it was getting dark at 4.30. Of course, it got light much earlier because they're further east. But I was thinking, man, I would hate to have to work so early and get off at 4.30 and still be dark. And for centuries, work was only done during the day when there was light. What light? The light that God created by His voice. I believe that when the psalmist is referring to path, I, th- I believe it's a figure of speech. He's saying the path 
You know, we see this, this light for our literal feet, but we're also seeing a parallelism here. And I believe that it's a light to the character of our lives. What we do, how we live, why we live, the motivation for our lives. And I say that because if you look at this passage, this passage can be divided up into three or four, four different sections. And I want to write these on the board because I think it will be a little bit easier. I'm not very good at understanding Hebrew poetry, so I will start out with this. So this is not my own idea. This is actually a really good commentator, and I think he has a very good idea. And this is what is called a chiastic structure. So you have, um, well, this thing is a little, it's no good. Hopefully this green one's good. We have A1, B1, B2, and A2. And if you look at the verses, this is 105 to 106. This is 107. 108, then 109, 110, and then lastly, 111 through 112. So in the first section, we have the word is a guide for life. So it's a guide. For life. Sorry if you can't read cursive. And then we see a response to that. Then the second section is the word. In the Lord's hand, and this the third we have the word in man's hands. And lastly, we have a joyful response to the word as a guide. I'm writing it up there just because I think it'll help. If you can read my cursive, sorry. So as we go through this, let's 
consider this structure because I think this is really important for us in understanding why the psalmist structured this passage this way. This is very, very common. This structure is very common in the Psalms and in Hebrew poetry. This is not a very common English way of doing poetry, but it is a Hebrew way. So, as we're seeing here, the psalmist is talking about real life and how our character and our path, our direction as Christians, as believers in, in the one true God, is lit by His Word. That His Word is the light of life. Just as the sun is the light for our daily activities. We don't sleep naturally in the day. We see, sleep naturally in the night. If I came over to your house and knocked on the door and your wife or your husband answered and said, and I said, hey, I, I came to see so-and-so. Oh, they're sleeping. Oh, Do you know when they get up? Are they just napping? No, this is when they typically sleep. Do they work at night? No, they just, they just like to sleep in the day. That's, that's not natural. Not saying that we don't like naps. Um, the older you get, the more you like them. But I think... Uh, but it's, it's natural for a, in the natural world to want light, to be guided in the light. And so as Christians, the real life, the real Christian life must be guided by the Word of God. It must be the light of our daily life. Is God's Word lighting my feet? Is it lighting the path of my life? Is it exposing my heart? Is it exposing the flaws of my character? Is it exposing sin in my life? Well, it's hard to have it exposed if I'm not intentionally dealing in the Word. If I'm not dependent upon it. And so we see a response here, right? The second half of A1 in verse 106. He says, I have sworn and I will confirm it. What is he swearing and to whom? I would say he's swearing to the Lord, but he's swearing that he will keep, right? He says that I will keep your righteous ordinances. That's what he's swearing to do. He's swearing to take God's word, because this word ordinances is the same word judgments. He's, he's swearing to keep God's ordinances. Why would this be important? Why is it important that we as Christians have a life that is sworn to keep the Word of God. Can it just happen by accident? No, I, th I believe the psalmist is saying, look, it's great for you to, to want to meditate on the Word of God, and it's great for you to want to observe and obey God's Word so you have that delight, remember last week? But if you are not dedicated or determined to do so, it will never happen. It takes determination. 
Commentator says, he said, We must not expect to drift by accident into devotion to the Word. Isn't that how we act? Often? I'm not talking just about you, but if it's hitting home, then take it. But so often, we throw ourselves like sticks into the, the river and expect something to happen. I think of the story of Winnie the Pooh, if you know Winnie the Pooh. Uh, I've been reading that to the kids. And there's one story where they're all on a bridge and they're having a stick race. And they all throw their sticks on one side of the bridge and then they run over the other side and see whose stick gets to the other side first. They're having a stick race. Well, unfortunately, like Winnie the Pooh and his friends, we're throwing ourselves into the water and we're just hoping that we'll still win the race by going with the stream. That we'll just drift into devotion. This is a characteristic, unfortunately, of many people in the church today. We think that we can accidentally discover devotion to the Lord. That it will just happen by happenstance. We believe in a sovereign God, but we live as though luck is Lord. We might as well just go to the casino because that's how we're living our lives with the Word of God. If I pull the slot machine enough times, eventually devotion will come out. I really like that quote. I I think I'm going to write that down somewhere that I'll see it often because it's such a common issue in my own life. It's so easy to assume that I can just accidentally, you know, if I, if I just randomly spend time in the Word and, and not be intentional about it. What in our life as Christians, even in our world, the world will tell you, you will not come to devotion to anything by accident. Ask a professional football player, how did you get there? Was it pure athleticism that helped but I'll guarantee you that 99% of them if not all would say I worked hard I went to the gym every day I did this every day I did all that because I wanted to be a professional athlete there's no one who accidentally comes into prominence and, and strength in a field of knowledge or a field of work that didn't take work. Yeah, there's giftings that God gives us that makes us more prone to come to those places, but we, in our lives, we often put, we determine to do many things, but have we determined to meditate on the Word and to obey the Word as the psalmist has done? Is that our response to the fact that we need the Word to be the light of our lives? Not just physically, but in every way? We Do we truly want the Word of God to transform us from the inside out? It's great to talk about meditation. It's great to talk about 
observing the Word of God. But if we do not determine, not in our own strength, but if we do not determine to make that a priority in our lives, it will never happen. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying in these first two verses. Then as we move to B1, we see what happens when the Lord has our lives in His hands. It seems bad, right? Because He says, I have been afflicted severely. Or, I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to Your Word. It's interesting that he doesn't use his own strength here. Right? He's calling out to the Lord. He's saying, give me life according to your word. Not, I'll take life by my own strength. No, he's putting himself into the hand of God. That hand of God, the righteous right hand of God. Who is seated at the right hand of the Father? The right hand of power, Christ our Savior? Are we committed? Are we asking the Lord to give us life in the midst of affliction? We don't know what the psalmist is being inflicted by, but it's exceeding affliction. In the Hebrew, it's very explicit. This is the worst kind that you can have. It's like very much afflicted, if you translate it literally. But oftentimes, we, we don't understand this. So the psalmist is not just saying, you know, I, I got cut off at the the gas station. I waited for two hours at Costco and I got cut off right before I got in, got to my gas pump. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about real affliction. Somebody trying to kill him. Running. The, the psalmist experienced affliction. But he's saying in the midst of that affliction, he's putting himself in the hands of God. He's determined, right? He's, he's already sworn so that he will keep God's ordinances. And you want to keep God's ordinances? Put yourself in His hands when affliction comes. But don't just do that. Don't just... Put yourself in His hands when affliction comes, but do this as well. Verse 108. I accept the free will, or sorry, sorry. Oh, accept the free will offerings of my mouth. Is he saying that out of his mouth comes doves? Right? Because that's what a free will offering in the Old Testament was. It was an offering that was brought not to pay for sin, you know, not like the Day of Atonement. It wasn't a lamb or, or some other animal. It was 
typically a dove or, or something like that, that you would bring as an offering of praise to God. It was not required. So what's he saying? He's saying, Lord, accept my praise. Was it forced praise that he's asking the Lord to accept? No, it's a free will. That's the whole point of what that offering was. It wasn't a forced offering. In the same way, a free will offering of his mouth, he's he's using vivid imagery to say, my praise, this praise that I'm giving without you requiring. When do we offer praise? Do we only offer praise when we think it will result in something we want? Or we think it's required? Or do we, as the psalmist, say this, and then he says, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. So he's, again, putting himself in the hands of the Lord. I want to be taught of you. And I will praise you freely. He's not going to be coerced into praising God. He is going to praise God because He has determined to praise Him. Because He has determined to keep the Word of God. Because God's Word is the light of His path. When praise becomes obligatory, it is no longer praise. Or in other words, if you feel like you have to praise God because of some pressure that you're feeling other than a desire to praise Him, it's not praise anymore. It's not an offering. Not a free will offering. When we put ourselves in the Lord's hands, we are asking Him to give us life or to revive us And we're asking Him to teach us according to His Word. So we've seen this life that is brought through the Word. It is a life where light is guiding us. The light is shining on our path, is giving us direction, it's opening and exposing our hearts, our needs, our character, our sin. And then that light, when we determine as believers to live according to that light, Lord, when you shine your light on my heart, I will repent. What is repentance? Repentance is not just saying I'm sorry, it's saying I'm sorry and changing the direction we're going in. So I will repent and follow the light. 
I will stop doing what I'm doing. So when we confirm and swear to keep the righteous ordinances of God because His light is worth it, it is worth the light of life coming into our hearts. When we do that, when the the difficulty comes, when the affliction, severe affliction comes, we put ourselves in the hand of the Lord. God, I can't, I can't overcome. This is too difficult for me. But I will rely on you. I will put my hand, myself in your hands. And I will praise you with my mouth. And I just desire that you would teach me. Revive me and teach me. In B2, we see the word in man's hands. In the midst of trouble, right? Because first it was us in God's hands in the midst of trouble. And His ability to renew us, to revive us, and teach us. And now we see ourselves in, in human hands in life's troubles. He says, my life is continually in my hand. Does this sound like a place of safety to you? I don't think so. If you look with me quickly... In Judges chapter 12, I believe that this phrase is a phrase to of feeling like you're losing control. Because this word actually is palm. I... I've, my soul is in my palm continually, if you translate it literally. But if you look at Judges chapter 12, it says, Then the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the sons of Ammon without calling us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you. Wow. So, Jephthah goes and defeats their enemies and they're crying because he didn't invite them to the party. And what does Jephthah say? Jephthah said to them, I and my people were at great strife with the sons of Ammon. When I called you, you did not deliver me from their hand. You're to be, to be blamed. And then in verse 3 he says, when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the sons of Ammon, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Right? You wouldn't help me, so I took my life in my hands. This is the exact same phrase. I did it on my own. Yes, the Lord, he says, gave him into their hands. And then if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 28, 
This is very interesting. I lost the verse. Okay, here we are. So Saul has gone to the witch of Endor, and in verse 8 it says, Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes, and went he and two other men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said, Saul has done, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? This phrasing, laying a snare, is why are you asking me to put my hands, my life, in my hands? So this is not a good expression that the psalmist is using. He's saying, I'm constantly feeling like I'm in danger in my own strength. I feel like I'm having to fight all my own battles. So even when he's feeling like he's in his own hands, that really it doesn't feel like the Lord's with him. When that time comes, what does he do? What should we do? He says, Yet I do not forget your law. He remembers something. He remembers the word. He remembers the light. And he knows that that light that his for his life will lead him home. And he goes on, he says, The wicked have laid a snare for me. So the wicked now. So not only is he... He felt like he's in his own strength at times, trying to just survive, trying to just make it another day. But now he has other people trying to take his life. They're trying to take his life and put it in their own hands. So the wicked have laid a snare for me. But what does he do? Yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. How is it possible that the psalmist, through all these things, through exceeding affliction, even with praises on his mouth in the midst of that, feeling like he's in his own strength, he's got the wicked coming against him, how in the world did he not go astray? Because he made a determination. He swore to the Lord, I will not walk away. Again, I don't believe the psalmist was doing this in his own strength. But he made a determination as a believer in the one true God to follow Him, to keep His commandments no matter what. The 
What does that create? What does that bring? Right? We saw how meditation and obedience to the Word brought delight. Well, it's the same thing. Right? So, A2. We see a joyful response to the Word as a guide for life. We see possession of joy and we see direction. Listen, he says, I have inherited, inherited. Some things that we inherit aren't so great. Right? You're like, why did they keep that? They should have just thrown that out. Sometimes people inherit debt. But he's speaking of something great. He says, I have inherited your testimonies forever unto eternity. Not just till I die. No, in this life and the life after. Forever. I don't know of a better inheritance you can have. Right? This one is not going to decay. We've talked about that in the past. This is an inheritance which will never lose its value, unlike gold, unlike silver, unlike anything that is valued in this world. One day, those things will have zero value. But God's Word will always be valuable. Why? Why did he inherit these things forever? Because he says, for they are the joy of my heart. Or this word can be better translated, they are the jubilation of my heart. What's jubilee? The year of jubilee? Being set free if you were a slave. Your property being returned to you if you had leased it until the year of Jubilee. A year of no work. Can you imagine God providing so much leading up to that year that somehow they did not have to work for a year? God's word for him are like that. They are jubilation. They bring joy to him. The thought of the inheritance of God's word brings joy to his heart. So he's got them as a possession because they're joy to him. And we see the direction here in verse 112. He says, I have inclined my heart. Who inclined the heart here? We know it's God who draws, right? We're not, we're not denying the sovereignty of God of bringing us to salvation. But he's saying, I have set about, I have inclined or 
we could say, I have stretched out. That's actually the, the, the literal translation of the Hebrew is, I have stretched out my heart. It's almost like my heart is a hand and I've, I've stretched it out. What's he stretch it out to do? To perform your statutes today. Is that what he says? Forever. It's funny, in the Hebrew, it just says forever and then the word end. I think that's very interesting. But he has made a determination. He is stretching his heart. He is reaching out to keep God's Word. It is an intentional direction in his life. It is not by accident. He is not drifting in to devotion to the Lord. He is setting about a path, a course in his life, so that he will run into devotion with the Lord. Meg and I were watching a um, a video on YouTube. There's this guy who does just different um, interesting topics. And he was doing one on the Coast Guard. And, and they have a specific pattern that they use to find someone who's in the water. Or depending on the situation, how they do it, the pattern changes. But they realize that they're not going to accidentally drift into that person. They, they have to do a pattern because in the water, their boat does drift. And so they, if they don't do the pattern right, then they'll miss an area and they won't see someone. And we as Christians, we must be intentional. We must set patterns in our lives so that we will find devotion to Christ. Not a moralistic devotion. Oh yes, I read my Bible every day and I pray every day. Not that kind of devotion. Though those things are good. But a devotion that finds the light. Oh, I just can't wait to get in the Word tomorrow. I can't wait to spend time praying with the Lord. You're not going around saying, Oh yes, oh look at me, I... I read for five hours this morning and I prayed for three. Now I'm, I'm spiritually ready. No, it's, it's not about us being something. It is about us inclining our heart because we want to perform God's Word. Not out of obligation, but out of desire. The, the commentator says this. He says, joy without obedience is Frivolous. Well, I changed the word. He said frivolity, but frivolous. It's, it's worthless. He says, obedience without joy is moralism. We have to have both. We can't just have joy because joy that's not obedient has no end. There's no actual meaning behind it. But Obedience without joy is just moralism. It's legalism. But when the two are combined, when we have joy in the Lord and we determine 
by the power of Christ living in us and His Spirit to set a path according to His Word. That our course is set on Him just like that lighthouse. It helps us avoid the rocks, right? That's what a lighthouse is for. Oftentimes we ignore what the light is telling us because it's too hard. Are we going to drift into devotion to the Lord or, we, or will we this morning determine to make God's Word the light of our life? To truly believe this. Do we believe it? Do we believe that God's Word is actually a lamp to our feet? Do we believe that God's Word is a light to the path that God has placed us on. There are a lot of people running around looking for purpose in all the wrong places. I actually saw a post by someone the other day, and it didn't surprise me for whom the person was, but it just showed me they felt like that purpose was not something that... They weren't saying that God didn't give purpose. They were claiming to be a Christian. So, But they were saying... Purpose, you know, there's so many things that need to be done. Just just find something and, and, and pour into it. What? That's not God-driven purpose. That is man-driven. We need to find out what God is doing and ask God how we can be a part of His plan for our time. It's not about us. So we want to delight in God? Set a plan for meditating on the Word. Set a course in your life to obey when God's Word speaks to your heart. If your life is not set on the course that God's light, His Word, is guiding you on, it doesn't matter how much you try to meditate or how much you try to obey God's Word. You will eventually drift away from God. You will go astray. You will not drift into devotion. Let's pray. Lord, guide us by Your hand and give us courage to make commitments as believers, to one another and to you, to make your word our guiding light. A light that we are constantly meditating on and seeking to obey. Give us wisdom in how to order our lives so that we are spending intentional Devoted time with you. Devotion is no accident, Lord. Help us individually and as a church to dedicate our time and our lives to living and breathing and obeying your word. Guide and direct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone have anything that...
God spoke or 